Welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast, episode 60 where it's not just about getting high, it's about getting healthy. My name is Dean Millard. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on what time you are listening. I'm just glad that you are and that you've decided to download this show. And if you're familiar with the show, you'll know how we kick things off. If you're not familiar, this is what we do. I want to find out what's your groove. in your pipe and smoke it. Can you dig it? Kind of grabs you by the boo-boo, don't it? Pipe in a crate, bong in a blitz. This is great. This is the bee's knees. Can you dig it? So when I say, what's your groove, if you're listening to this, uh, while you are grooving to something. And when I say groove using cannabis, uh, tell me what it is. Uh, maybe it's, uh, a joint, maybe it's just some, uh, really cool CBD products. Uh, there's lots of really good stuff out there that you can groove with. Uh, got an email from a, a listener last week that said, as for what's my groove, I've been smoking some seven acres Zhongi pre-rolls as of late. So good. And since I'm also useless at rolling, it's a necessity. Uh, I agree. I suck at rolling too. Uh, and, uh, Zhongi, uh, from seven acres is really good. Um, so there you go. I, that's what I love hearing, uh, is from the listeners about, uh, what they are grooving with in particular i'm going with some samurai spy a ninja fruit from medicine we did it last week on what's that strain i still have some uh, left over and i love the mood that this puts me in the productivity that i get uh, plus the uh, spice uh, from my favorite terpene uh, carry off lane so let me get my groove on and then we'll start the show All right, the rocket fuel has been ingested and we're ready to go. Here's what we have coming down the hash pipe on this show today. David Krantz is a epigenetic performance coach and we're gonna let you in on um, why you might feel the way you do when you consume cannabis and how you react to it, maybe compared to somebody else. It's all about your genes. So we're going to discuss that and uh, some of the ways that cannabis and uh, your DNA and your genes can tell you what is might be right, what might not be right with you and the plant. Uh, I, I think I think we can safely say cannabis is for everyone, but I would not say THC is for everyone. 
I would recommend CBD to anybody, um, you know, that uh, wants to uh, give it a try and and see if it helps you. Uh, there's no psychoactive uh, impact in it. So, uh, well, I think cannabis can be for everybody in different kind of forms. I'm not sure THC is. And we're going to discuss that with David today. We're going to do a deep dive into, you know, what sort of things you can learn about yourself uh, from your uh, genetic makeup. David Wiley, of course, from the OZ will be by for this week in Cannabis News. Beautiful new website at the OZ. Uh, we're going to get some, some sage advice from uh, Seth Rogen. We're going to discuss uh, U.S. Leg- legalization and the boost uh, that it is uh, possibly going to get. Kids and cannabis, they just don't mix. And what are the top provinces when it comes to cannabis, according to one website? Chris Ionson, Nova Cannabis, Jasper Av, he's the manager there, and he's our educator on what's that strain. Tropical Cookies in the spotlight this week from Ignite and Malka LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. She brings the latest Bud Biz Buzz on the business of cannabis, celebrity cannabis so we'll be chatting about, and aquaponics. Uh, we talked last week uh, on our uh, word weeds of the, or weed words of the day rather about hydroponics, uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about more about aquaponics this week. Uh, our cannabis question is about accessories. We'll get to that in a second, and stay tuned for details on how you can subscribe to the Weed Weekly and cash in on our giveaway every Friday. Big thanks to Melka LaBelle, uh, who has provided a prize pack. You'll have to wait for Friday and subscribe to the Weed Weekly to find out what it is. We'll have something every week to give away uh, with the Weed Weekly. So you can subscribe to that uh, just by heading to uh, the Cannabis 101 podcast.ca. So let's get going with the show. It's prize time. Chime in on the cannabis question. Okay. And you could win a Cannabis 101 podcast prize pack. Pipe in a grape, bong in a blint. Hit us up on any of our social media feeds or email us at cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Okay, here we go. Cannabis question this week, what is your favorite accessory? And if you want to include a a couple of different things, because you just can't choose, uh, that's fine. But here's the catch. I want you to reply with a picture. So if it's on social media, you can find us on Twitter at the Cannabis 101, uh, the Cannabis 101 podcast on Instagram and Facebook, or you can email us, cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. You can be anonymous. We will not mention your name. We will not uh, publish uh, any photos of you unless you give us permission to use this photo of your accessory. Uh, but you can be anonymous. Our, our winner last week of the uh, the Numo uh, Cannabis Prize Pack uh, was anonymous. Great story about uh, setting out uh, munchies ahead of time. That was his uh, uh, cannabis ritual. So absolutely love uh, that the story. And uh, said his wife has a good time chuckling at him um, when he consumes. Uh, My wife likes to do that as well. Just sit there and laugh at me. So you can win anonymously or you can join us on social media. Reply with a picture of your favorite accessory. 
Um, you know, I, I love my uh, hexagon from Burnt. I call it the uh, Hexasaurus Rex. I absolutely love my Supernova, which is what I call the uh, Volcano hybrid that I have. Uh, because I bought it at Nova Cannabis using the click and collect system. And uh, Nova means uh, new. Uh, so it's a beautiful new volcano that I got. Well, it's not so much new anymore, but um, yeah, sentimental reasons for me uh, because uh, I've always wanted one of these things and it's the first one I've owned. So I want to take really good care of it. So, uh, so I name it, but my favorite, um, I think accessory is the thing I'm holding in my hand right now, which you obviously can't see, uh, but it's a hemp wick lighter case. I love this. Uh, you just wrap the hemp wick through the, the different spools, uh, string it up and so you're not inhaling as much, uh, you know, butane or lighter fluid. And the other thing is you're not constantly heating your cannabis. You know, you light the wick and then it, it just burns off from there instead of constantly adding fuel to it. So it's a, a healthier way if you are using uh, smoking out of a pipe or a, jo a joint or something like that. Not that smoking anything is to be considered healthy, but you're not inhaling uh, as many fumes. And, and I certainly notice whenever I run out of um, a hemp wick, uh, it is, um, you know, I, I just find if I'm using a lighter a little bit more, it's not as fun. So you certainly get used to it. So that's what mine is, is the Hempwick lighter case. And just maybe, just maybe, it'll be a part of the Cannabis Question prize pack uh, that you could be getting for responding. What is your favorite accessory? Use a picture, send it my way, at the Cannabis 101 on Twitter, Cannabis 101 Facebook, and Cannabis 101 Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can email us, Cannabis101Podcast at gmail.com. As for what pairs well with cannabis, and that is anything uh, that goes well with cannabis. Anything that you do that you enjoy that involves cannabis, I'd love to hear about it. For me, it's thinking without trying. And that might uh, sound weird to you, but so many times um, I will have uh, the influence of cannabis and um, just kind of almost like daydreaming or just, you know, I, I we call them bingo balls in our household when, you know, if you're trying to sleep and these ideas keep bouncing around and, you know, you're distracted by it. Well, sometimes those during the day when you really don't have anything going on or whatever, it's, uh, those are good things because, you're kind of going from, you know, topic to topic and idea to idea. Uh, and sometimes an idea just pops out. And for me, that's a lot of the times where some really, I think, creative ideas that I've had come from thinking without trying. And you're, you're just kind of letting your thought bubbles float around and boom, something comes out and you're like, that's the one. You didn't really mean to do it. You weren't thinking hard. Uh, you know, I, I think when you try to force yourself to think of something, it's always a lot harder. So that's what I think pairs well with cannabis. All right. Uh, the Weed Weekly, I mentioned it earlier. You can get the latest on what's happening with the Cannabis 101 podcast by subscribing to the Weed Weekly at Cannabis101podcast.ca. If you sign up, you're in the mix for our weekly prize pack, but only for subscribers. And it's an easy way to keep an up-to-date with the podcast. If you uh, miss an episode, we break it all down into different segments. Uh, we have other few few other fun things as well in uh, the Weed Weekly. So head to the Cannabis101podcast.ca and sign up. 
All right, we're going to get into uh, genes, DNA, cannabis. We're going to dive headfirst into it and tell you how your genes can impact your cannabis use. Before that, though, let's hear the weed song from the artist, My Dead Dog. Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Really looking forward to this conversation with David Krantz, a epigenetic performance coach. Uh, David, thanks very much for joining me on the program today. Uh, I guess let's let's first start with for the people that out there who don't know, what is an epigenetic performance coach? Absolutely. So, if you haven't heard that term before, it's not that surprising. Not a lot of people call themselves that. And what I do is I really help people understand how they're wired at the genetic level and then use that information to help bring people towards optimal health, optimal performance, and really just living up to whatever potential is there. And so I do that with a variety of different methods and you know, use genetic testing to guide nutrition and, and supplements and things that are tailored for you as a bio-individual. And cannabis, of course, is no exception to that. And, you know, in terms of how people respond differently and uniquely and individually to it. So that's how I really got interested in using genetics to help us understand how we respond to cannabis. We're going to talk uh, a lot today about the endocannabinoid system. And, you know, I've touched on it on the, on this show in the past, but, um, you know, I'm not an expert in it. Uh, can you explain just what the endocannabinoid system is for, you know, some of the listeners that either are new to cannabis or have been using the cannabis, but just in a recreational, and now they're looking at more about how it, it can help them and stuff. So can you explain that system? Yeah, sure. And, you know, people that use it recreationally or not necessarily for treating or, you know, having a specific physiological goal, uh, still want to know about the endocannabinoid system because it, it's, it's important in terms of how we conceptualize our relationship with the body. And so this describes all of the parts of the body that are sensitive to cannabinoid-like molecules. And we typically think of cannabinoids as coming from the plant, coming from the cannabis plant, THC, CBD, CBN, CBG, all, all the cannabinoids. But our body actually creates our own endocannabinoids as well. And these are molecules in the body that serve a regulatory function. They kind of balance other systems in the body. So if you think about neurotransmitters and the way our brain functions, the way nerves fire, you think about the musculoskeletal system, you think about the immune system, every one of those cells actually has cannabinoid receptors on them. And they're responsive to these endocannabinoids that our body makes. 
And so you can kind of think of it almost as if it's like a secondary control system in the body that underlies almost everything else. And, you know, it, it seems like a lot to consider, but we only discovered this system in the body 30 or 40 years ago. It's very new. Uh, so the reason why most people don't know about it is just because it hasn't filtered into mainstream awareness. But it's so central in the way that our body functions, you can't name a system in the body or a function that isn't influenced by cannabis. And that includes the ones we make naturally, and it also includes ones that we can take in and shift and modify that system. And the reason why genetics plays into it is that all of these receptors in our body, these cannabinoid receptors, are kind of shaped by our genes. People have slightly different genetic variants that might give them slightly different shaped receptors that are slightly responsive in a different way, slightly differentially responsive to cannabinoids. And that's one of the reasons why some people respond really well to THC and some people really don't like the way it makes them feel. Um, it's why CBD is so helpful for some people and not so much for others. And even when you start to understand these kind of individual factors, it really adds another layer of complexity and interesting um, things that you can play with beyond just the strain of cannabis as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. And the, the thing I love, uh, you know, this is our 60th episode of this uh, particular podcast. And I just love that uh, it seems every week I'm, I'm learning something else that blows me away about this plant. And, and my next question, I try to ask everybody that joins me, it's kind of like, what did you do before cannabis? Because for the most of us, we did a job before cannabis was legal or even medicinally uh, allowed. So, you know, what, what was it that you did before you started working specifically with the endocannabinoid system and, and the test that we're going to discuss coming up? And, and what made you get interested in, in, in studying this? Sure. So I've been in a relationship with cannabis since very early on. You know, it was something that I was very naturally attracted to and um, something that seemed to balance me out. And I, my background is actually the music in the music industry. Um, I'm, a, I'm a touring musician. I create electronic music. And that's what I was doing for a while. And then I had a pretty severe health crash that happened to me in my early to the 20s that really launched me down the path of health coaching eventually. You know, first I kind of had to figure out what was going on in my own body. And I learned some of these tools as far as genetics and epigenetics um, that I now work with clients on. Um, but I, in terms of how I got into using the endocannabinoid system and using this from a genetic perspective, I started um, doing nutritional genetics with clients and running a genetic analysis and looking at um, you know, what types of foods would be optimal for your body. You know, are there specific nutrients you need to focus on in terms of how your body breaks them down and uses them? And I realized there was a bunch of research on cannabis in the same vein, cannabis nutrigenetics. Nutrigenetics is kind of this overall field. And there wasn't a lot of information about it. And so I started this document on my computer that was just labeled Cannabis Gene Research. And I just kept adding to it and kept adding to it and started experimenting with it with clients and started to find that I was seeing patterns. And 
when certain clients have certain clusters of genes related to lower endocannabinoid function, uh, they seem to respond better to CBD and THC and um, had some you know areas that we could improve using those things. And it started to get more precise and started to run it with more clients. And so it just became this sort of natural curiosity because this information, the studies I was finding was like explaining some of my own experiences, like explaining why I was more sensitive to edibles than other people and uh, explaining why some people I knew like seemed to get anxiety no matter what strain they used and other people, you know, just did great with it. Um, it started to piece these things together. And then once I started to apply it and look at people's genes individually, it gave me a little bit of a deeper way to personalize what I was doing with the health coaching, um, the health coaching that I was doing with people. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm, I love the, the backstories of people, how they, how they got here. And, uh, obviously cannabis being a part of your personal life kind of drives your, your passion with it because you know, you know, the, the impact it can have on you. And, and you've worked on a DNA test that you developed with Dan Stickler, uh, MD at Stanford university in regards to cannabis and our endocannabinoid system. How does that work? Right. So this is the culmination of that little right. file on the desktop, the cannabis gene research file, uh, which like is, I don't know if you know what the courier like font looks like, but it looks like a typewriter. It's like, that's what that entire document looks like, super plain text. <laughs> and so I ended up turning that research into a genetic test that um, yeah, I collaborated with Dr. Dan Stickler, who's, um, who's a, does guest lectures at Stanford and the medical director of Neurohacker Collective. He does some consulting with Google. Uh, but, um, I collaborated with him to turn this into a test that you can go out and get. And um, it's really meant for practitioners to use it with their clients. And it's not meant so much to be what's kind of referred to as a direct-to-consumer test. Like right. This would be like a 23andMe, where you know you can, you can go out and buy any of these. But the problem with those tests is that the makers of them... Uh, you know, they don't really see clients. They don't really apply them. They just want to sell the tests and, and give you kind of like the most basic information. Yeah. So what we've done with this is we've really designed it as a tool for people that are working with uh, people that use cannabis or interested in using cannabis as a way to really kind of screen them and say, you know, this is probably the best way for you to use it or maybe you don't use it at all, or maybe there's actually some big opportunities for you to shift some of the health things that are going on for you. So it gives us a little bit more precise information and uh, allows us to personalize uh, cannabis a little bit more deeply. Yeah, and we're going to get into uh, a lot of that about, you know, why some people uh, are differently. But tell us about Canna DNA and, and how people uh, or, or professionals uh, might be able to get involved. Yeah, so this is the practitioner training that I have coming up, and uh, it will be we'll be running ongoing cohorts. So if you hear this podcast later, you can always sign up, and you'll be notified when the next class is running. Um, but this is uh, a course that I put together with Dr. Stickler that really goes through all of the research that's available on the individual response to cannabis from a genetic perspective, and so we look at. All of the scientific research that's out there basically done a full literature review and 
you know, as a practitioner, will prepare you to run the appearon endocannabinoid test that we've developed, but it will also give you a really solid foundation for understanding pretty much any other of the other genetic cannabis-related tests on the market. And there's a few others out there. It'll give you the ability to look at those and say, you know, what's valid? How do I apply this? How can I talk to my client about this? And how can I start to really personalize and tailor my understanding of my client's bodies and help them develop more self-awareness around how cannabis is most useful for them? Well, one thing we always try to mention on What's That Strain during this show where we explore different strains is that cannabis does affect people differently. And, you know, you and I could use the same strain. We wouldn't be sharing a joint at this time in, in, in our lives, but we would have our own joints. And one, you could be talking my ear off and I could fall asleep. So we could both be affected differently. So let's get into why that is. And can you kind of give us the, the Coles Notes version of why does cannabis impact people differently and then we'll kind of dive into it a little bit deeper yeah so in terms of what you're talking about in terms of the the different streams there's still a lot to be studied and understood about that uh, on a genetic level what we know really well right now is that in general when we're talking about THC sensitivity in general Mm -hmm. that some people metabolize THC slower than other people And that means that it tends to build up in their system at a faster rate, and they don't clear it out as fully. And you can look at this in CBD as well. So some people are just going to be more sensitive overall to the effects of THC, and and depending on how their genetics are kind of set up and wired, some people might be really, really sensitive, especially to edibles. And so we could be smoking a joint next to each other, and you could get through the whole thing, and I might take two puffs and go, "Wow, I am I'm good." Right. Um, you know, and and that might be in addition to the tolerance that we built up. Um, so you know, I always want to look at this from multiple angles and say, yes, tolerance plays a role, uh, strain and product plays a role, your current health status plays a role, your set setting plays a role, dosage and all that, mm-hmm. but also the underlying way your body is wired. Uh, in terms of your genetics and the capacity that you have to break down and absorb THC is also going to be kind of the underlying layer that influences all those other things that I just mentioned. Yeah, set and setting is uh, something people don't often talk about uh, enough, but it certainly does, you know, where and, and what you're doing kind of could have an impact on your mood and uh, and how uh, you you react to that. So why is the gene CYP2C9, quote, the destroyer of THC? And, and what kind of impact does it have on a person getting high? When, when you say, you know, the buildup of THC, does that mean the high lasts longer for those people? And what does this gene, what's its impact on THC? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, so, T, so CYP2C9 is a gene that, contains the instructions for the enzyme that our body uses to break down THC. When you take THC in your body, it circulates uh, throughout your bloodstream, goes to different parts of the body, but over time it's filtered through the liver. And, you know, that THC molecule is broken down into something that's not psychoactive, which is why we don't just stay high forever after we take a joint. You know, there's there's an amount of time that it takes for your body to kind of clear that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's 
specific variant in this gene. Some people have a certain version of it that is going to create a faster metabolism, meaning they break THC down quickly. And then some people, yes, it builds up in their bloodstream. They tend to stay higher for longer. They tend to be more prone to like the drowsy um, effects of THC, sometimes even a couple days later. Like if you know anyone that consumes mm. THC and then is like kind of kind of out of it for a few days and is like, I still feel this. That's weird. Like a bakeover um, almost. They, mm-hmm, right. Um, bakeover, yeah. Um, uh, that they tend to be more prone to that, and it's especially more impactful with edibles or orally ingested THC because when you think about smoking or inhaling vapor, it's a much more direct route to the brain. It doesn't have as much of uh, it doesn't have as much uh, path to travel physically in the body. Mm. But when you eat an edible or you take a tincture, uh, that's going to be sent into your stomach and into your liver to be filtered before it really gets up into your brain. So with, uh, because these are you know, mainly affecting liver pathways, this can make people super sensitive to edibles and can also make it so that some people actually don't feel much from edibles at all. Like if you, you occasionally talk to some people, they're like, I need a thousand milligrams. I don't feel anything. That's they're me. like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's generally because of the fat metabolism. Hmm. That's very interesting because I am that person, uh, like to the point where my friends will not share their edibles with me anymore because they decided that it's a waste of time because I'm not getting any effect. So it is kind of, uh, uh, interesting out there. And, and, you know, when you, um, when you smoke, obviously there's a faster onset and now they're talking about some of these drinks coming out on the market with really fast onsets. So, and then fast offsets apparently. So it's interesting to see, um, and for people that are new to it, that are wondering, you know, why their friend who smokes a joint gets high instantly and they eat an edible and they got to wait an hour. There's your answer because it goes a different route in the body. Right. Exactly. Just in terms of the connection that you just made real time around like, Oh, that's, that might be one of the reasons why, you know, I'm not sensitive to edibles. Like that's, the information that is so powerful for people when they can start to say, Oh, I'm not weird. I'm just, you know, wired in this kind of different way. There's nothing wrong with me. This is just a natural variation that occurs. And, you know, we tend to have as cannabis users and people that have seen, um, you know, or or just are used to the way our bodies respond to things. We kind of have this idea that like, Oh, there's a, a normal way to respond. And there's like a weird way. And what this really does is it kind of levels the playing field and just says, well, there's, there's different ways and here's some reasons for it. Mm-hmm. And there's also, uh, I guess, a, a misconception that THC stays in your system uh, for around 30 days. And, you know, a lot of people that, you know, work for places, unfortunately, uh, that don't allow cannabis use have to take tests. But um, can you explain what it is? It's it's not exactly THC. It's it's something different, and it and it's different depending on the individual how long it stays in your system. Would it not be right? So, um, what really gets stored in your system is a metabolite of THC, and a metabolite is a compound you know, that's been changed from one chemical structure to another. So THC actually gets broken down by the CYP2C9 enzyme that we were just talking about into something called 11-hydroxy-THC, which is also psychoactive. 
And then that gets broken down further into something called THC-COOH. Um, and that's not psychoactive. And, but that, is, that does get stored in, in the fat. And for a lot of people, you know, it takes about 30 days for that to uh, get cleared. But what's interesting is when you look at the metabolism of this, the slow metabolizers of, of THC actually make a whole lot less of this final THC-COOH metabolite. And it seems a little counterintuitive that huh. they would make less, yeah. but it's actually because um, th- they don't have enough of that enzyme to make that final step. So much of it gets gets just kind of built up as THC and 11 hydroxy THC in the in the blood um, that they just don't they don't tend to make very much of the THC COH and so it's very possible that uh, one of the advantages to being a slow metabolizer is that it might be easier to pass a drug test because you make less of that uh, metabolite that urinary tests look for and it's probably likely to be cleared from your system faster. And don't get me started on my opinions about drug tests in general, but is, that is kind of an uh, interesting fact just to know that some people really do make radically less or more of that um, compound that gets looked for on the drug test. Well, this is certainly interesting um, for a person or an individual who works for a company that tests for what is in Canada, where I am, a legal substance. So, uh, I, I, you know, for, for anybody that has to do this, I encourage them, you know, and, and I will be telling you about how you can find out, you know, where you fit on this uh, sort of scale as we go. But this is incredibly helpful information for people that have to take drug tests. And, you know, if you're living in an area where it's legal, it seems kind of odd that you're testing for a legal substance. So this is good information for people, isn't it? I think so. And the other thing, too, that's interesting to consider is that, you know, our genes aren't just fixed and stuck in one place. And this is what I do as an epigenetic coach. And so epigenetics is actually how genes change their expression in response to the environment. And the environment can be things like nutrition or certain herbs you put in your body or exercise or really whatever it is you encounter. And so there's actually ways to potentially modify uh, some of the metabolism of THC or the excretion of that final metabolite. And so I I actually have done some work with people to be better prepared to take a drug test if their employer were to screen them and kind of help them understand, okay, what is my genetic propensity here? Are there any herbs or substances that might um, kind of increase my clearance of the final metabolite those drug tests are looking for and it's super fun for me because it gets to i get to play around with all the geeky biochemistry pathways mm-hmm. and, and look at this for people on an individual level but it can be pretty useful if that is a goal for you no doubt so can a person change how the cyp2c9 gene impacts their cannabis use. We talked about it earlier for the, you know, the, some of the people that don't get high as long as maybe some of their friends, is there a way they can change that or is our genes are our genes and we're, we're stuck with that? Yeah. So there, there are some potential ways that you could modify that. And, um, so this is what's known as in, in terms of these, metabolism enzymes, either inhibition or induction of them. 
And there's certain substances, talking about natural herbs, there's also a lot of drugs that will do this, um, that will either turn up the production of these enzymes or turn them down. And so it is possible potentially to change some of your THC sensitivity um, with using certain herbs, like, for example, an inhibitor of CYP2C9 would be like resveratrol or quercetin, um, even capsaicin, like from chili peppers has an effect, hmm. uh, St. John's wort, kava. So, and it's, it's not entirely clear exactly how powerful that would be, but it is something that you could experiment with and see what doses look like so you know that's something that could turn a faster metabolizer potentially into a slower metabolizer so that could also be the kind of thing where one day you realize like oh like i just ate a 10 milligram edible that i'm used to not feeling that much at all and i felt it a whole lot Mm. you may want to check if you what other herbs you've been using around that because that can impact the way that you your body responds and then on the flip side there's CYP2C9 inducing herbs and substances um, like folate or the steroid hormone precursor DHEA, which some people use as a um, as a supplement for improving injury or response. So you might be actually able to speed up that um, that process using those things. And, and then there's also a big range of uh, certain drugs as well, prescription drugs that will do it too. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you can, you know, if you, if you feel, find you're getting too high, uh, you can try a few of these things. And if you're finding you'd like to get more, you can, you know, can experiment. And I, and I think the best way to do that is journaling. I think, I think journaling and cannabis is uh, one of the most underrated things, especially for people new that are, you know, dipping their toes in. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we, as we mentioned, people react differently and, and sometimes settings, but when you write down some of the things that, that you've done before and during and after you can kind of, you know, realize that, oh, okay, that's when you can really start, I think, tinkering, as you mentioned with, uh, with some of these things. Now, why are some people more genetically attracted to cannabis? Yeah, and so that's a pretty broad question, but one of the reasons that's been proposed is something called endocannabinoid balance theory, um, where some people tend to just carry lower levels of endocannabinoids. And, you know, this is, again, kind of an oversimplification, but those people do tend to show higher rates of cannabis usage. And so it kind of makes sense if your body produces less of its own endocannabinoids. And we can actually look at this with some of the genetics in terms of whether you're higher, likely to have higher or lower levels of your own endocannabinoids. It would make sense that you're more attracted naturally to a substance that will kind of offset that, offset that natural deficiency. And this is one of the things that made my own experience make a lot of sense in that I have all of the genetic variants that are associated with lower endocannabinoid levels with more of the enzymes that break those endocannabinoids down. And so, you know, when I first smelled cannabis, like the first time I remember, like, funny enough, it was actually at a fish show. I I saw fish before I smoked (laughs) weed. (laughs) Um, But, but, uh, I was pretty young, but, um, uh, I remember the first time I smelled it, I was like, what is this? Like the gates of heaven have opened and there's just someone like presenting this golden skunk of life 
my nose. And yeah. like, it was like this, this really innate biological reaction. Like when you smell the good stuff and you're like, Oh wow. Yeah, of course. But like, there's some people that will smell that and go, Ugh, like, what is that? I don't want, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And it's to a degree, I think related to how your body is balanced with your own endocannabinoids. Like, are you someone that when you smell more cannabinoids out there are like, yeah, put that in my body. Or are you someone that when you smell that you're like, yeah, no thanks. I got enough. Yeah. My wife would be in that latter category. Uh, she doesn't, she's not crazy about the smell. Um, and she's just dipping her toes into, into using some of the, the edibles, which is good because if you don't like the smell of burning cannabis or you don't like to smoke, cause I can, for, for somebody who's never smoked, the idea of smoking a joint might be disgusting. So it's a good thing that there is other options out there, but it, it's funny that you say that my, my, we were in my, uh, buddy's backyard about, uh, I don't know, six, eight years ago. And, uh, my, my kids, uh, my buddy's kid had walked in like five minutes after we finished burning one. And he just walked, he said, that's the smelliest smell I've ever smelled in his eight year old voice. And, and I felt like saying, let's wait 10 years before you say that. But his instant reaction was the smelliest smell. So as a, as a young kid, um, now it, it, we should point out there are certain things and, and we've talked a little bit about genetics, but let's talk about what a genetic test can and cannot tell you about uh, how you should use cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I'll preface this by saying, um, you know, as I was mentioning, there's a lot of direct-to-consumer tests on the market that aren't necessarily aligned with, like, the most transparent way of using the information. And what I will say is there's no genetic test on the market that can 100% with accuracy predict what strain is going to work best for your body. Science just isn't there yet. And I think it's a tremendous uh, opportunity that will unfold over the next you know, few years in terms of really having more scientific data to back that up. But I will say there's no test that really does a good job of telling you what strain is going to work well for you. Um, I think it's a lot of market type. Uh, but what it can tell you is, are you someone that's going to have lower endocannabinoid levels or higher and how you can use that information to balance out, um, health symptoms that might be going on in your body and tell you whether you're going to be more or less sensitive to THC and CBD. One of the big strengths is telling you, uh, showing you associations with cognitive function and cannabis. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at just the body of research that's available, you know, a lot of the funding went into uh, looking at, hey, how does cannabis actually affect people's brain function? So there's a really big body of research where they've gotten people high and then tested their cognitive capacity and broken them up into different genotypes. And so there's certain people that might be more prone to short-term memory loss and like, you know, kind of that classic stoner archetype of I can't remember where Mm -hmm. I put my keys. And then there's going to be certain people that really do function highly on cannabis and THC and uh, can be very productive and focused and on point. And this type of testing does a pretty good job of kind of grouping you into either the category of probably don't want to do complex tasks while you're high versus, yeah, this might actually fit into your, you know, workflow if that's what you want to use it for versus other people that might fit in the middle. And so it can be very informative in terms of how to use cannabis well for your genotype. Where is cannabis going to fit into your life 
and into your lifestyle? And is this something that you want to avoid in certain situations or use for specific situations? Yeah, um, certain people and, can be productive and, with it, right? Right, exactly. And and while it doesn't, while the genetics alone don't tell you, you know, what would be the exact right strain, what they are pretty good at is helping you understand what strain to use when. So, for example, there are certain terpenes that can help offset some of the short-term memory dysfunction that some people can get from THC. And so based on that, we might you know, make some personalized strain recommendations. Um, some of the other things that you know it, it does well with looking at are um, things related to like craving and withdrawal. Like for some people, it's super easy to like stop smoking weed. Other people, like it, it, they really do feel like you know it's hard for them to stop. And so you can get a feel from a genetic perspective uh, how that might show up and. Uh, you know, really think about moderating your usage. And the other big thing uh, that I, we talked about a little bit previously uh, on, on a call before this was looking at the association between cannabis and psychosis. And even though, you know, a lot of people in the pro-cannabis world are kind of uncomfortable with this topic, I think it's, you know, important that we recognize our responsibility as stewards of this plant that we really make everyone aware that, you know, some people might be prone to negative effects from THC and, you know, certain people that have like a family history of schizophrenia can be more prone to it. And there are certain genes that have been identified that are associated with cannabis and psychosis risk. So this is something that can be very helpful. You know, if you're thinking about getting into cannabis and you're like, I want to make sure that, you know, everything is totally safe, even though, you know, for 999 out of 1,000 people, cannabis is going to be totally safe. Like, it's important that we, you know, talk about those outliers and make sure that we give everyone the opportunity to know, hey, is this right for your body? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the other things that genetics do really well is kind of give us an indication of are you at high risk for cannabis-related psychosis or you're totally in the clear? And if you are at high risk, you know, what are the things that you can do to reduce that risk? Because again, genes are not, you know, 100% predictive. What they do is give us probabilities and then give us information with how we can align what we do in terms of the way we live our lives, what substances we put in our body, how we do it, when we do it, uh, that will ultimately create the lowest risk, highest possibility outcome. Yeah, it, it's interesting because you know it, when when you talk about the the probability the nine hundred and ninety nine out of a thousand, but you know for that one person that tries uh, THC uses a, a THC product and they may have schizophrenia, it could be devastating. So even that one person, you know, you, you, know, you could have uh, life changing uh, effects. So you really do want to be careful, as you mentioned. Um, you know, cannabis is safe for almost everybody, and and I kind of like to say cannabis is for everyone, but THC isn't. I mean, you know, maybe the the psychoactive part of THC doesn't agree with you, but maybe CBD can help you or some of the other uh, cannabinoids that we're 
you know, still about to discover as we, you know, in, investigate more about this plant. But it is really important to say that, you know, you, you should um, be aware that there are people that could be negatively affected by THC, uh, whether it's their gene composition or, you know, pre-existing conditions. So that's that's kind of my thing. I think cannabis can be for everybody, but not THC. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I love what you're saying there, because I feel like when we're talking about kind of taking care of everyone, you know, in the community, we're, we're talking about how making sure everyone understands risk factors and how to, you know, be the safest possible with cannabis benefits everyone, right? Mm-hmm. It benefits the legalization movement, benefits the medical community, benefits everyone involved. Um, and it, and it actually, I think gives anti-cannabis people less ammunition to use, right? They might be the ones saying, well, cannabis makes you go crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like, if, if we say, no, that's totally not true. That's never true. Then that just gives them more ammo. Mm-hmm. But if we say, Hey, yeah, actually that is a real concern and we're paying attention to it. And don't worry, we got it covered. Like we're, you know, we're, we're, we're educating people about this and doing everything we can to make sure that people use this plant as optimally and safely as possible. It actually just does the entire legalization movement, I think, good in the long run. Yeah. Blanket statements like cannabis uh, doesn't hurt anybody uh, actually hurt the uh, the industry, uh, because there are, uh, you know, while there's not been a, uh, a death attributed to cannabis there, there, you know, there, I'm sh- there have been accidents and things like that. So we have to be careful with how we present, because listen, if this cannabis industry wants to be taken seriously, we have to be transparent. I, that's my opinion. I, I 100% agree. And I, I think transparency really is the name of the game. And that's what I'm, you know, bringing into the, the genetic testing world with this is trying to often be most transparent. Hey, here's exactly what the research says. Here's, mm-hmm. you know, what you can do with it, um, kind of options for people. All right. So how can this help those on the medical side uh, when it comes to their patients? And this is something that uh, is becoming more and more common. Uh, how can um, the medical field use this information? Right. Well, I think one of the big things that it can you can look at is the metabolism side of things. So if someone is considering using THC and they have you know don't really know how their body's likely to respond, having some personalized information gives them a better understanding of what to expect. And same thing with C B D, because when you look at C B D metabolism, someone is likely to be a very fast metabolizer who breaks it down fully. They actually might need higher doses of CBD to make any kind of impact. So this is what I've seen in my practice with, for example, a client who you know had some joint pain issues, and I tried CBD once before and said eh, it didn't really work. And when we looked at her genetics, she had some of the variants associated with ultra fast metabolism. And we, you know, I said, all right, well, you know, if you want, you can try CBD, but try it at a higher dose. Mm-hmm. You know, do three times what you were doing last time. And it actually did end up working for her. And, um, you know, so that's the type of personalized care that this can lead to. Um, you know, the other thing is, of course, screening for um, the potential psychosis risk, especially if you're in mental health and you're working with people that might have family history of this. It's just another layer that you can add in to be able to, um, you know, give personalized 
guidance to people. And the other thing too is, um, you know, if you're a practitioner listening to this, you might be familiar with this type of situation where a patient or a client comes into, into your office and they have a black and white printed out genetic test that they took, you know, maybe they ordered a kit or had it done with another provider. And, you know, you look at it and go, I, and you're thinking to yourself, like, I really don't know what this stuff is saying, but this person is asking me what it means. You know, how does it apply to our work together? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, it's like being in a deer in headlights, and you're like, oh, I'll have to take a look at this later. Um, and so just understanding the genes that are underlying all of these genetic tests, especially around cannabis, will just give you the ability to... Um, competently and ethically talk to your clients about these genetic tests that they're going out and getting because they're on the marketplace. They're available in direct-to-consumer format. And as a practitioner, if you're not educated on how to like talk about them, what they mean, and how to incorporate them into your practice, uh, your clients are going to be getting this information but not really having a trusted advisor to really talk to them, talk, you know, talk about it to. So I think in terms of just the educational component. It can be very transformative for clients to be able to talk about their cannabis experiences with someone that they trust and can also talk deeply about what do these personal, what do these genetic factors mean? Why do I respond this way? You know, is there, is this, is there something wrong with me or is this something that we can work with? So, you know, I think all of those reasons are, are reasons for practitioners to, um, you know, think about incorporating this type of work into their practice. So I'm in a country that has uh, federally legalized. Uh, you're in a country that uh, we're all hoping uh, gets federally legalized. I always ask my uh, guests about kind of their thoughts on legalization, but I'd actually uh, I like to ask you your thoughts on just the plant and the research that you know is being done, will be done. Um, I don't know if we'll ever know everything there is to know about cannabis, but I can't wait uh, to find out more about it. How exciting do, is this? all this research that's being done on the different cannabinoids that we're going to find out, whether it's CBG or CBC or all these different ones? What's that excitement level for you? It, it's huge. I mean, I'll, I'll say that um, my level of understanding is near zero, like when it comes to the totality of what there is to be known about this stuff. And, you know, I've spent thousands of hours pouring through, you know, the peer reviewed research on the, on cannabis nutrigenetics. But when I really think about what do I actually know relative to what we could know, it's almost nothing. Yeah. So I, I'm tremendously excited in terms of research on individual cannabinoids, individual terpenes, how they interrelate with each other, and what that means for, you know, using them both for, I would say, like, medical purposes, but also for personal exploration purposes or for personal uh, enhancement purposes, you know, outside of it necessarily being, like, to treat a medical condition. Um, You know, we can talk about that in terms of creativity or focus or energy, but a lot of the work that I do with people isn't necessarily to like treat conditions, but it's really to just optimize overall systems function in the body. And I see a lot of potential value in individual cannabinoids being able to contribute to that in the same way that CBD can for a lot of people. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait. Uh, so let's uh, just finally, if there's people out there that want more information on this, whether they're, uh, you know, consumers or medical, uh, in the medical field, 
where would you recommend they go? Because as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of uh, um, tests or companies out there that make some claims that might not be particularly true. Where do you think the best place to go to find this information? Where would you recommend? So if, if you're a practitioner and you're listening and you're thinking it would be nice to be, you know, a little bit more informed and have a deeper understanding of this in terms of the genetics, uh, you can go to canadna.education, E-A-N-N-D-N-A.education, and you can sign up for information on the practitioner training that's coming out. It might already be out by the time you listen to this. Um, and that will certify you to run the Apiron endocannabinoid panel and kind of prepare you to work with clients in a deeper, more personalized way. And if you're a cannabis user who's listening to this or curious about cannabis, um, you can reach out to me directly and get you set up with testing, whether that's specifically for looking at uh, endocannabinoid metabolism, uh, or if you want to look more deeply into the nutritional side of things too, I'm also happy to talk to you about that. But I do offer free 30-minute consultations for anyone who's intrigued and wondering if this would be a good fit in terms of helping you reach your goals. All right. And how do they reach you uh, for that, uh, the uh, the personal side of things? Yeah. So um, my website is david-krantz.com, david-krantz.com. And if you go to the connect page, you can just book an appointment right there. Beautiful. David, this has been such an eye-opening and uh, educational conversation. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. And I look forward to us all learning more about ourselves and uh, the plant in general. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dean. It was a pleasure. is the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Wow, I learned so much in that conversation. I, I hope you did as well. Uh, and if you are interested, make sure you reach out uh, to David. By the way, check out One Hitters later. Uh, it'll be actually next week, early next week where we get to know uh, David and his cannabis history. You can find it and full episodes at www.cannabis101podcast.ca, where you can also subscribe to the Weed Weekly and qualify for our weekly giveaway. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. David Wiley from the OZ joining me as usual for this week in cannabis news. Check out uh, the uh, wicked website at okanaganz.com slash OZ. You can get the weekly newsletter as well, and you can follow them on Twitter at okanaganz and at Wiley Writer. David, congratulations on the beautiful new website. Hey, thanks a lot. The, uh, the overhaul has been uh, in process for a long time, but uh, yeah, we've got the, the, the new fresh looking site up and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Should make anyone want to come out and uh, uh, smoke a joint in the mountains or something like that because uh, <laughs> the views are gorgeous uh, and the information is excellent as well. And some of the information we're going to talk about this week is um, is good advice. 
and then there's some common sense advice that we'll talk about later when it comes to kids and, and cannabis and, and edibles in particular. But the advice that Seth Rogen gives, I'm usually, you know, what would Seth do is what I kind of ask myself in certain situations. And in this case, he's getting praised <laughs> uh, from uh, some politicians in BC for his advice. He sure is. Seth uh, Rogen does stay in character. Um, so I'll give you some background. Of course, we all know that we're in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. Well, our premier here in BC, John Horgan, has been giving these, uh, uh, well, sorry, in BC, they've been doing these, these daily briefings. And it came out um, at his own conference that he had asked for Ryan Reynolds and Seth Rogen to give a little bit of advice uh, and try to use their influence, really, to keep people at home uh, and make some smart decisions. We've been seeing a bit of an uptick here in BC, so it was time to bring out that star power. And uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, we love him out here. He delivered first in classic fashion. He asked people, please, not to kill his mom, who lives in BC, right? um, because he's always got to have that dark humor. And, uh, you know, Seth Rogen following up and character he tweeted out people of british columbia please do not go out to parties and barbecues and other large gatherings the covid is still out there it's more fun to hang out alone and smoke weed and watch movies and tv shows anyway do that instead thank you uh so good on to seth and good on to premier horgan who came out after that uh retweeting what seth uh tweeted out and saying that his message was on point, and then linking to our Dr. Bonnie Henry's website out here, Dr. Bonnie Henry's Good Times Guide, <laughs> that basically encourages people not to pass around drinks, smoke, toke, and vape. So uh, you, Seth Rogen and the BC government, whoever would have thought it, working together in order to get people to stay home and smoke weed. Yeah, what a time uh, to be alive. Thankfully, um, you know, we are because there's unfortunately a lot of people who aren't. And and what a time to be uh, seeing a premier of a province, uh, you know, praising the suggestion of uh, cannabis use. It is just, uh, it is like two worlds colliding I never thought I would see. And, and it is good advice. Now, there are some people that were saying, yeah, you stay at home and use the cannabis, but maybe you should avoid smoking right now. There are. You know, I, I, I really do feel like a hero for staying home and getting high. Um, <laughs> and you, there are all kinds of different ways to do it. You don't necessarily have to smoke. Uh, you can also uh, dry or vape, which is a little easier on the lungs. Uh, but, you know, there's a whole slew of drinks and chocolates and mints and teas and you know we have endless variety here and uh and what it's like you said what a time to be alive my friend yeah no doubt and maybe uh the news when it comes to cannabis and legalization to our neighbors to the south uh i think gets a little bit better uh, with the uh, the appointment of uh, the first african indian american indian american woman uh to run for vice president and that's uh kamala harris you know we've talked about uh, the the swaying political landscape in the u.s before as far as legalization and sometimes it takes a blow and this is an uptick for that uh, for that cause if you're for that cause well the the u.s may have its very first weed veep yes. and wouldn't that be great 
Yeah, Senator Harris, she's breaking uh, racial and gender barriers in the U.S. and also breaking cannabis barriers. Uh, you know, there there is certainly a bit of a complicated history here with her and cannabis. Uh, she's taken some heat in the past for not uh, for not supporting it, but over the last few years, she seems to have really firmly entrenched her position. And it's very clear she's the lead Senate sponsor of the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, also known as MORE, and that seeks to end federal prohibition of cannabis and also provides inducements for states to expunge the records of those with past convictions. Um, you know, she is also has also sponsored the Marijuana Justice Act uh, and the State Banking Act, and that protects banks supporting um, cannabis businesses from mm-hmm. federal penalties uh, because it's a very complicated time in the U.S. when it comes to cannabis. Federally, it is a very illegal, um, but certain states, a lot of states, in fact, have opened up uh, the medical sale of cannabis and, you know, a smaller number of states have opened it up for recreational sale. But there's always that concern that they're going to face getting their wrists slapped on a federal level. Uh, and this state banking act that uh, that Harris is sponsoring is also very important. We know from the process of legalization in Canada that it was extremely difficult for uh, entrepreneurs in the field to get any kind of funding mm-hmm. because the banks just would not lend to anyone in the cannabis sector. Uh, it's still a bit of a challenge, but we're moving in the right way here. And these kinds of legislative acts across the border really do set the stage for things to change in that country. It it really is, and and I'm glad you you brought up and referenced Canada because, uh, like you said, I think it has gotten a little bit better, but there's still a long ways to go. And and I think um, you know, as far as some of the heat that she's taken, we've talked about some people that were on the other side of cannabis uh, when it came to law enforcement, and then all of a sudden just decided to get into the cannabis industry. I think that's a little bit disingenuine. Where from what I've read with Senator. Harris is that you know she's kind of this is not a political move but more that an, an educated move after being educated about the plant and and a lot of people are that way I think it's hard to go from strict law enforcement throwing people in jail for a long time to being a, on the board of a cannabis company I think it's a little bit different than you know changing your opinion and 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 voicing your um, I guess support for decriminalization I think there's a big difference there I think so, too. There is a big difference. And, uh, you know, one of the big things with the U.S., too, I've said it before and I'll say it again, is that it amazes me to no end that uh, America loves its freedom. And yet they still tolerate people being thrown in jail yes. uh, over cannabis. So there's a disconnect there that really needs to be fixed. Yeah. And something else that needs to be fixed, uh, you know, when it comes to, I don't care where you live. I don't care if you live in uh, the North Pole or you live in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, or you live in California and you have kids, keep it away from them. Um, Lock it away. There are so many products that are out there. Uh, I, I, I don't even have kids and, and I bought a uh, locking product where I have a combination that I can put on it because 
sometimes we do go to friends' houses and I take my cannabis with it and I want to make sure that the teenagers that live at those places aren't <laughs> getting into it. And and listen, these people, the, these cannabis users that are leaving their edibles in particular out are unfortunately sending kids to hospital and nobody wants any child to get near any kind of cannabis. This is just common sense 101, David. Absolutely. We said it before, and we'll say it again. Just keep your weed away from your kids. Health Canada came out recently and said that there have been 15 kids under 12 years old who have gotten extremely sick since legalization. Um, you know, that's, that's over the course of uh, almost two years now. So when you look at the, the number, it does seem low. But these are some pretty serious cases, and nobody wants to make their kids or anyone else's kids by accidentally you know, leaving your edibles in a freezer where they're accessible, um, you know, or just out in the open, chocolate sitting around. Kids will grab those kinds of things. Uh, so it's really important to, to lock it up. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the suggestions that we put out, because we talked about this on the OZ a few times now, uh, the... the Easiest way to do it is to get one of those old red toolboxes that everyone's seen in a padlock. You can throw your product in there, lock it up, and no one's getting into it. And it looks cool. I mean, you put that thing anywhere, and it's just nice to have around. Um, I do want to add a little bit of context to this, too. Like, let's give credit where it's due. And it seems to me that the vast majority of parents are keeping it safe. Because we're still only talking about, you know, 15 kids here over the course of a long period of time. So to add some context to that, since we've seen an uptick in use in hand sanitizer, the BC Poison Control Center recently warned parents that there was an average of seven calls per week of kids that were drinking hand sanitizer and getting very ill. A week just in BC. So, you know, I'd say that we can give ourselves at least a little pat on the back that we're doing pretty good in being responsible responsible about this. Yeah, the majority of the people are being responsible. And, it, like, it, it's not hard. You can go to a cannabis shop and buy these cases. They're out there. Or you can go get your toolbox. It's not that difficult. Now, I, I also want to add in that some of the articles that I read, and not your article, but some of the articles I read on this were using pictures of illegal cannabis products. I mean, the, some of the pictures in the articles and what they were referencing to, you do not get in a retail store. You cannot buy something that looks like a teddy bear in a retail store. If you have something that looks like a teddy bear and your kid gets it, that's an illegal product. And if you would have picked up the same equivalent at a retail store, it would be in a package that would be less attractive. And now, while I still think the regulations are a little bit uh, strict, um, I, I just want to point that out. A lot of the pictures I saw in some of these articles were using illegal products, which is kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, can't you still want to lock up all your cannabis, but if, if you if you don't want it to look like a teddy bear, buy it from a retail store. You're so right. We've knocked Health Canada a bunch of times over the strict regulations. You know, but when it comes to keeping kids out of products uh, and making sure that the doses are still, you know, really too low to cause major damage, mm-hmm. um, they've done a, a real good job. Yeah, and as uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's the 
the uh, the minority. All right, let's finish with uh, this story. And um, this is uh, this came out uh, earlier this summer, ranking the provinces, the top. Uh, I guess I guess going from ten to one. And man, I'm I'm uh, ashamed that my you know birth province is ranked number ten. The worst on this list is Manitoba. Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I'm from Ontario, and we're in the middle of the pack. Um, but you know the the provinces that we've moved to, Dean, they're doing mm. pretty good. So the group, the growth off ranked uh, what it believes to be Canada's friendliest provinces um, from worst to best. So, like you said, their number ten was Manitoba, and the big issue there is that the public use is prohibited, um, and home growing is reserved for medical cannabis users. Uh, if that's not enough, I mean, there's a little bit of insult to injury here with StatsCan uh, reporting that you may have been paying the highest prices across Canada mm-hmm. for your for your product. Uh, number nine, we've got Quebec in there, and that's no real surprise. I mean, <laughs> they have sales of cannabis restricted to people who are 21 and older. Um, home growing is forbidden. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't rank Quebec as yeah. number 10 myself. Me too. Um, in the middle, you have got Saskatchewan at number 8, Prince Edward Island at number 7, Nova Scotia at number 6, uh, Ontario, as I said, number 5. And, you know, Canada's most populous province here, at least they're breaking the top 5, so that's good. They did stumble out of the legalization gate with that awful lottery idea, um, and that's just causing problems as we go on now with retailers who won the lottery just selling anyway turned into a a, just a terrible broken system but at least they've done away with it um number four new brunswick basically they called them underwhelming number three british columbia my province you'd think that bc would be number one but uh you know the, the part of the problem with bc here in the legal market is that the the, the legacy market continues to undercut legal businesses. So we just have a burdening um, culture here. And, you know, so in, in some cases, depending on your perspective, maybe that is number one for some people out there. Number two is Alberta. And my goodness, Alberta's just done an amazing job. They have uh, more retail stores open than any other province. It's more than 400 and counting. And they really emerged as a powerhouse right out the gate with that private sector participation. Um, and, you know, they, they're the only province, too, in Canada that makes it accessible to people who are 18. So lowest lowest legal age out there in Alberta. Uh, and the number one, we could argue over this, uh, is Newfoundland and Labrador. And basically, they're saying that it could just come down to the fact that they're the easternmost province, and thanks to their time zone, they're the first one to actually make a sale in Canada. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know. That seems kind of a strange reason to to put them number one. I, you know, I guess when you look at per capita, I agree with you. I think Alberta, 
Uh, you know, some of the early store owners might not agree because they thought there was going to be a, a cap, but uh, I don't know if there will ever be a cap. When I when I first moved to Alberta, they said uh, two things about Alberta. There's a church and a liquor store in every corner, and, and you might be adding <laughs> cannabis uh, to that uh, to that equation as well. So the thing I found is Saskatchewan is ranked really low, and yet I've heard really good things about the Saskatchewan market, and um, there's, there's some sort of... Um, uh, not a, maybe like a co-op or something that you can go on and find some of the uh, the better pricing. So I'm I'm a little bit surprised Saskatchewan is down because I have heard really good things. And as I make my way back to Manitoba in the next little while, I'm looking forward to stopping at a few places in Saskatchewan and and just checking it out. But yeah, it, it's an interesting list, and um, you know, no surprise when you look at the uh, the the top three that Alberta and BC would be in there. I mean, Ontario uh, by population is. Um, you know, the, the leader, but Alberta and BC seem to be, you know, cannabis central in Canada. They sure are. They've got just a a lot of success happening out here. And uh, I was surprised at Nova Scotia being in at number six. I felt like it probably should have been a little bit higher. Um, Early on in legalization, to everyone's surprise, Nova Scotia was actually number one in per capita cannabis enthusiasts. And uh, that's just unexpected. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, the, the sometimes the surprises that you do get. Uh, the one thing I will say uh, when it comes to Alberta, and while they are ranked number two, and, and maybe they're talking about retail, um, Alberta is, has some of the worst taxes when it comes to cannabis. So there are certainly some drawbacks about uh, doing business in this province. And while it is probably the busiest, um, you also do pay um, some of the highest taxes. But I guess that's the price of business. And, and that's what happens when you let every province decide it individually, right? Yeah, absolutely. It does create uh, those differences among provinces, change the feel across the country. Um, you know, it's, it is absolutely an interesting list and, uh, uh, you know, we'll see how it develops over the years. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to look back at this. It's like, uh, um, looking at past draft years in sports and we can look at how cannabis has changed across the country, um, over the next years. It'll be a kind of an interesting study. David, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you can get an ounce of info at the OZ. Uh, you can check it out at okanaganz.com. Beautiful new website. Every time I look at this, it makes me want to book a plane ticket out there. So <laughs> I might be knocking on your door at some point, but anyway, enjoy the sunshine. And thank you. you. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us again this week, David. Thanks, Pete. This is the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. want to remind you that the Cannabis and Hemp Expo uh, has been postponed for a second time, unfortunately, due to COVID-19 concerns uh, and uh, restrictions. It was supposed to be this past April. Uh, it was postponed, obviously. Rescheduled for this October, and that has been postponed. And now it's back to 
uh, late April. So we'll give you the, all the details uh, as we get closer and uh, we'll hopefully still be there on location. It's uh, supposed to take place at the Edmonton Expo Center where you can get more information is www.cannabishempexpo.com. Uh, it's going to be a great event uh, when it uh, actually happens because we'll get to meet everybody uh, that listens to the show and different vendors and uh, all of us come together in the cannabis community. So uh, it's now late April. Uh, so you have a few more uh, months to plan for that. That is the CannabisHempExpo.com where you can find out more information. You got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. <laughs> It'd be a lot cooler if you did. Time now for Cannabis Characters. Dopest dope I've ever smoked. Celebrating the best from fictional 420 film. Hey, I am your stoner. <laughs> and beyond. Heavy girl with that, man. Is it heavy stuff, man? <laughs> Cannabis character today is Jim Brewer uh, as Brian from Half Baked. Uh, this movie has so many good supporting characters. There's Willie Nelson, there's Bob Saget, there's John Stewart, and many more. Snoop Dogg, of course. Um, he he kind of sneaks in there as a scavenger. Uh, that was uh, uh, Snoop Dogg's uh, character in that movie. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, the main character is Dave Chappelle. And then there's his circle of friends who kind of form, um, the, uh, the rest of the big characters and his buddies are hilarious. Jim Brewer is Brian and he has a really funny scene where he's lifting off, listing off snacks, uh, for their buddy, uh, to get, um, after, uh, they got out, uh, Billy Bong Thornton, and got really, really high. Here are the snacks that uh, Brian, played by Jim Brewer, wants. What do you guys want? Get some sour cream and onion chips with some dip, man. Some beef jerky, some peanut butter. Get some Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars, a whole lot of hot. Make sure chocolate, gotta have chocolate, man. Some popcorn, red popcorn, graham crackers. Graham crackers with the marshmallows, the little marshmallows, and little chocolate bars, and we'll make some s'mores, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yo. <laughs> also, celery, grape jelly, uh, Captain Crunch with the little crunch berries, pizzas. We need two big pizzas, man. Everything on them with water, a whole lot of water, and Funyuns. Yeah. Funyuns, man. Don't forget the Funyuns. Lots of laughs in this movie, of course. And they're constantly getting high. I'm a big fan of Jim Brewer. Uh, I've seen him in stand-up. Loved him on Saturday Night Live. He was Goat Boy. Um, if you're of a certain age, you'd remember that. And he was always on Stern back in the day when I used to listen to that quite a bit. So, fan of Jim Brewer. Fan of that movie and all the different uh, characters. So, uh, Jim Brewer, as Brian in Half-Baked, is our cannabis character. What's that strain? Let's find out with Chris Ionson, Nova Cannabis store manager and educator. Our 
educator Chris Ionson and the manager of the Nova Cannabis Jasper Ave location joins us as usual. Thanks for making it out on uh, what's another heat wave week here, Chris. Yeah, no doubt, Dean. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. This is the, you know, like uh, listen, I I love um, our our uh, weather at times, but I know at some point it's going to be the, uh, with a minus in front of what we're getting right now. Yeah. So we really need to embrace these and, yeah. uh, you know, remember in January when you're standing outside shivering with your joint that you didn't spend enough time out. So we got to <laughs> be outside yeah. as much. This is perfect joint weather, isn't it? Like this. It is. You know, yeah. Outside heat, sun, everything. Totally. All right. And the perfect, uh, joint, uh, product we might have here we'll let you know as we go tropicana cookies we're doing today is a uh, sativa dominant and uh, this is by the lp ignite and um, it's it's a it's it's a great looking uh product by an interesting character now there's a lot of really cool nicknames um in the cannabis industry uh that were given to people the emperor of hemp the king of cannabis these sort of things yeah this gentleman uh, has a self-titled nickname. It calls himself the king of Instagram. It's Dan Blazarian, and he is certainly an interesting character. And that's that's like the 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 mildest way to maybe put it. Yeah, yeah, I think so, Dean. Yeah, he's uh, definitely an interesting character. Uh, he rose to notoriety after sharing glimpses uh, of his lavish lifestyle to his over thirty-two million Instagram followers. Uh, these posts typically contain semi-naked models, expensive scenery, semi-automatic guns, elite yachts, and the bearded blazarian with a shirt off, usually. Yeah, it's, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't follow him, uh, you know, it's just not my cup of tea, and, but I bet you, uh, you know, and, and I'm not trying to be too glib, but there's a ton of 16-year-old boys out there that probably love his Instagram, or maybe guys that are at the... Uh, 16 year old maturity because it is filled with all those things that you talk about and i don't know it's 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 you know what i'm just gonna say he's showing off and 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 he has the money to do it so there's probably a lot of people out there that are saying millard you're just jealous well i'm yeah. jealous of the the bank fault for sure <laughs> but anyway um he, he's more than just an instagram star like this guy is very well known on instagram but you know the, like an onion there's a lot of layers to this guy yeah yeah for sure um and his story kind of you know goes back to uh he was in the uh, the navy seals training and uh and he was uh following a four-year service he was uh, discharged for a safety violation on the gun range mm -hmm. um and then he went to the uh, university of florida to study business and criminology uh, which was ultimately funded by a $6,000 per month military veterans disability allowance. So went to school on, on, the, uh, on the military's dime there. Uh, while studying, he learned how to play poker and went on to play professionally at the age of 29. And um, turns out playing poker was a wise move because he you know, ended up becoming a really world-renowned poker player within a few years and uh, reportedly owned uh, over $10 million in a single private event. And he's made over 50 million in one year from just playing cards. All right. So um, we know where some of his money comes from, and we'll learn a little bit more later. Uh, but he also has a very polarizing personality. Yeah, polarizing is the perfect word. Uh, you know, his, uh, his social media presence has made, you know, people either love him or they hate him. 
so definitely very polarizing. Uh, you know, some people want to be him, as we mentioned, or, right. you know, others see his, you know, exhibitionist displays of women uh, as, as the embodiment of, of misogyny and sexism. Uh, you know, when you go on his page, it's just a lot of, you know, naked ladies and, and, mm -hmm. and bikini models. And uh, it's, it's a very kind of, a, you know, that's his, his angle and he's trying to kind of show it's a playboy lifestyle yeah you know he it, it's almost like he's trying to be hugh hafner here yeah yeah pretty much um and you know, uh, he should given himself that nickname the playboy of cannabis or something like that but anyway i like that that's cool <laughs> uh on the topic of his haters though he's he's mentioned uh you know people are gonna love you people are gonna hate you when you're in the public eye it's just something that comes with the territory so mm. he's aware of that and i'm sure that he's had his you know, share of, you know, being out in public and, you know, some people have, you know, let him give him, a, given him a piece of their mind. He's probably obviously of the philosophy that there's no such thing as bad publicity, right? Like he, he probably just does not really care as long as you're talking about him. Yeah. And I, I think so, man, I could, I could see that. Cause there, there has been some times where he has been in the, in the media for a real negative mm -hmm. kind of view, but he still kind of revels in it and still, you know, takes the attention and yeah. runs with it. Uh, I disagree with that philosophy. There is definitely uh, <laughs> bad things about bad publicity. Ask a lot of people about that. So anyway, um, he, he started Ignite in uh, 2018. And, uh, you know, like, he, he also discussed about his first time in cannabis, which is a lot younger than anybody should even be thinking about cannabis. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, in an interview with uh, Midas Letter, he explained the, the first time he got high with cannabis was when he was 11 years old. And he was using a, a pop can pipe. Jeez. Uh, I think, yeah, 11 is, is a little young there. You Crazy. Know, brains are still develop me, developing at that, that young, young age. Uh, that's a little too early for, but, uh, you know, that's, I'm not his parents. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that seems, it's, it's like that Mike Tyson story where the, you know, the, but his was involved like crack and things like that at that age. But uh, mm -hmm. 11, way too young. Uh, so he kicks things off with this lavish party. Yeah, geez, I uh, I saw the like, it was like a drone shot Instagram uh, video. It's it's on the Ignite uh, Instagram page. Uh, it was nuts. It was a hundred million dollar uh, Bel Air mansion that that hosted th over a thousand guests, um, bunch of celebrities, bunch of DJs, high end DJs playing. It, the the party just looked shockingly. Insane. There was a lot of uh, semi naked women there too. There was a yeah. lot of bikini clad women for yes. sure. All right. So after he got it started, you know, he, he gets this company going and hits a hurdle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, the hurdle, I mean, trying to get into to Canada here. So, uh, you know, Canada legalized cannabis. So uh, obviously Ignite would want to be, be a part of that. And uh, I found an article on Leafly that had some interesting information about uh, in, in May of 2019, uh, WeedMD, uh, which is also color cannabis, um, them and Ignite, they announced an exclusive licensing deal to distribute their products in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, the news was not well received as WeedMD is an Ontario licensed producer and they're known for being very big on gender equality. 50% uh, of their uh, managers and supervisors are, are female. 49% uh, of their workforce is female. Uh, so that was not well received by, I'm sure, you know, half of their staff. Uh, we're not really exactly looking forward to working. Uh, with this guy, so um, wasn't exactly the best fit, and uh, and Twitter lit up with the news, and uh, and that since kind of fizzled out, mm -hmm. uh, and since then Ignite actually partnered up with Canmart 
for the Canadian distribution. And that's uh, the guys that have those, those Mizero glass tube tubes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the 0.25 grams, is that what it is or yeah. something like that? Yeah, yeah totally. I just actually found mine uh, the other day and cleaned it out because it's, it's great Reusable. to uh, reuse it. <laughs> well, speaking of articles, I found a Forbes article from last month that shed a lot of light on Ignite, who uh, this company lost $67 million in 2019, according to this article. Yikes. $43 million in operating costs alone. So in 2019, their budget for marketing and promotion was $22.26 million, or more than twice what they managed to register in sales revenue. For every dollar in sales, $9.6 million, they spent almost $2 on general and administrative costs, $18.4 million. Lavish parties might do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the article also states that um, the, that Dan uh, has uh, some trust funds out there that his father, who is a convicted felon and a former Wall Street fraudster, set up for him. He apparently owes like over sixty million to the to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, IRS or to the IRS, uh, and uh, so maybe he has unlimited money and he just doesn't even care. Uh, you know, I will say that the product is good, yeah. and and you know what. Uh, for him, he probably wouldn't care that we're talking about this because to him, there's no such thing as bad publicity. So, yeah. you know, the backstories that are good, we want to talk about. And then we also, we don't, we want to be transparent that this is the background and, you know, people can make their choice from there. We'll give you our thoughts on the product, but here's who's behind it. Just yeah. like we would with a terrific story, right? You, you, you want to be as open and honest and transparent as possible, especially on this show. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's the story behind Ignite. Uh, let's get to the uh, the history of Tropicana cookies. So it's uh, GSC, Girl Scout cookies for a lot of people, uh, crossed with tangy strains. Mm -hmm. So tell me about this lineage. Yeah, big fan of uh, both those strains for sure. So the GSC, that's, a, that's an OG Kush crossed with a, a, a unique Durban poison cut. Uh, and it kind of has this known for its cookies kind of flavor where it's a creamy kind of mm. flavor uh, and aroma uh, and then we got tangy which is a which is a skunk crossed with a california orange uh known for its uh, fruity fruity smell and taste so uh combining the two is is, is dope it's a it's one of my favorite strains like in, in the last couple of recent years of when i when i have tried it uh, it's always been great um and definitely like it, it packs a punch um yeah, it's worth checking out if you if you haven't seen it. If you see it out in the stores, pick some up. So you've seen this Tropicana cookies uh, in, a, in a few different uh, places and a few different LPs. Would you say this is, you know, we've talked about some that are that legendary. Do you think this is an underrated strain? Or is well, it pretty I, popular out I, there? I, I think that it's pretty popular. Yeah. Um, it's, it's big in California, okay. uh, Colorado right now. Um in terms of here being in, in the Canadian market, actually, this is Ignite is the first Tropicana cookies oh, that, we, that we've had come great. to market. So that was something that excited me when I saw it come in. I, you know, uh, I think that it's it's a it's a nice like summertime strain. Yeah, um, good for like the outdoors. So it's perfect for a day like today. All right. So when and how was it created? Yeah. So the the strain was created by Oni Seeds in uh, 2017. Uh, has quickly become a, a grow household staple for most growers. Um, the creator, his name is, uh, he goes by the name of Harry Palms and, uh, <laughs> I yeah. just think Cheech and Chong whenever I hear <laughs> yeah. Harry Palms, Harry Palms. And he's, uh, one of the owners and breeders of Oni Seeds. Okay. And he personally selected the strain after a laborious selection process where only the best results of each test were chosen, thus ensuring high quality seeds and all of their offspring. So, uh, really good stuff. Uh, it's, it's one, uh, 
first place at the IC420 Growers Cup in 2019. So uh, that's a recent win. Um, yeah, so it's uh, great genetics and it's, it's still pretty new. So, you know, there, there's not a lot of people that are going to be like, eh, I used to have Tropicana that's cookies right. back yeah, in the yeah, day. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's definitely one of those like um, cooler, newer strains. On yeah. the way up. Uh, yeah. A riser, as they talk about in uh, draft rankings with uh, sports, right? A, guy, <laughs> a, a strain that's rising up the rankings. Yeah. Um, so when you look at this packaging, first of all, I like the uh, the color. It's not white. I've been very vocal about this as of late. If you want to stand out in the Canadian cannabis market, don't make your packaging white. They're black. So yeah. it's good standard plastic tub, which you can recycle. You guys have that program yeah. going on again. And of course, with COVID, we had to, to, to stop that program. But you guys do have that. And I see a few other places are getting that done as well. And inside this, not only do we have great cannabis, but we have something to preserve it. Yeah, it comes with a Bovita pack, uh, which I don't know. I feel like that should just be the standard across yeah. the board for all LPs. Because um, a lot of times, you know, you're not sure when when you're, the product you, you package is going to sell. So just keeping that Bovita in there is just going to help it stay fresher for longer. Yeah. Um, and we do have package dates on uh, a lot of the products. Yeah, all I would them. love to see harvest dates too. Yeah. And see, that's that's a big deal, right? That, that to me is a big deal where... You know, I, I've gotten some bud before and, you know, looked at the package. I'm like, oh, this was packaged last month. <laughs> this is exciting. And then when I go to, you know, bust it's, it up, it, it's dusty and yeah. it crumbles. It might have been packaged, but yeah. it's, yeah. So that would be something that, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, ex, 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 introducing people more to the plant through terpenes and than, than just THC. And, well, I think harvest dates would be really important for the consumer and the retailer as well, right? Absolutely. Like be good for Dean. you guys. Yeah, it'd be good to know that stuff for sure. Uh, okay, as for the actual bud, it looks really good. Like, maybe yeah. one of the best trim jobs we've seen in a long time. If Maybe since we've been doing this. like It's up there. It's pretty good, man. Yeah, I was I was going to say the seven acres stuff yeah, that I've that's seen. Yeah, that's true, yeah. That's, it's close. They're very, uh, very similar. Just really tight, tight trim. Mm -hmm. uh, really dense. Not a lot of stems. Not a lot of stems. Dense buds. Uh, it's got that lighter tropical green kind of color to the mm -hmm. buds and, and really nice dark orange pistols. And I, I found too, uh, after grinding it up with my Santa Cruz, I got a really nice fluff from it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely really nice looking bud. And uh, like it's frosted. Yeah, it's cakey. It's it's yeah. it's got some shine to it if you put your uh, your light up to it, or you don't even have to. It's mm -hmm. it's pretty cakey with crystals as well. All right, uh, we'll get into the terpenes now. And uh, as soon as uh, I, I smelled this uh, and cracked it open, I could t I just got a real floral scent for sure. So I knew linalool was going to be one of them. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, so the, the dominant terpene uh, with uh, Tropicana cookies is, is limonene. That's going to give us that citrus kind of fruity uh, and, and flavor. And a lot of moment. times boost of energy yeah, too, can, right? can totally provide that. I mean, everyone's different. Sure. Everyone reacts differently, but it's been known to do that. Uh, Caryophylline is next, and that's the, the black pepper and spice and Dean's mm -hmm. favorite terpene. Yes. Uh, and uh, and then lastly, we've got the linalool mm -hmm. that's in there, and that's the floral kind of lavender. Yeah, so. I think lavender, uh, lilacs, like I think purple when I think linalool for yeah. sure, right? The purple sort of flower. And then, I don't know, it's a, it's a, it might be a mind thing, but... You know, when, when I think something has grape in it, I just think purple all the time. Or if I think, <laughs> if I hear purple, I think kind of, I go to these lavender, it must be a mind thing, but 
it, but it does, you know, you can trick yourself into not smelling something, hearing something, and then smelling it. Yeah, yeah, for no, sure. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting how that works. All right, the desired effect, as you mentioned, very important. Everybody does react differently mm-hmm. uh, to cannabis, as my guest on this episode uh, so eloquently, uh, eloquently spoke about uh, earlier in this episode. We are all different because of the genes that we have, but general kind of desired effect and and what you found when you tried this out yeah for sure so so my take on it uh it's definitely a a pleasant pleasant kind of high uh but it's it's mild it's not too too intense Mm. it's not too buzzy which uh i've been trying to stay away from here i've recently i've had some like high THC sativas where i've like rethought my life uh in a matter of minutes and and needed some indica to chill out so um it's uh, pleasant, but mild. Uh, it's good for being productive, getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Uh, very uplifting too. So you know you want to be productive and be in a good mood. Uh, also found uh, it's clear-headed, so uh, it doesn't fog things up too much. I found that I was you know my mind was was going at a good speed, but not too fast. Right. Um, positively distracting too. Your I, mind wasn't racing with like 20 bingo balls flopping no, in there. No. It was like idea floating yeah, by almost. It was all, yeah, yeah, it was kind of like a good speed. Yeah. It wasn't like nothing was happening. Yeah. But it wasn't it was, in slow motion. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I just found myself, I got distracted a lot in, in a kind of a positive mm-hmm. way, just... You know, you get uh, lost in your thoughts in a good way, right? Yeah. Uh, so Sometimes I, that can be really, really good for creativity and just kind of recharging. Both of those. Yeah, man, yeah. You, you said it. Uh, so it's definitely a good straight to take your mind off things. Uh, and I also think it's good for, um, yeah, being out and, and being active. Outside. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to those three W's. Who, what, and when is this good for? Um, who? We mentioned that it's not going to over really overpower you, but it is a sativa dominant with a higher level of uh, THC, not the highest we've seen, but a mid-level. Mm-hmm. So who who is this good for? So I think it's good for the interme- intermediate smokers and up. Um, I want to say it's not ideal for uh, beginners, but I, I think that if you're in that level one beginner phase and this you're a, a stepping stone, uh, one? yeah, I, I think it would be a really good step up because it's not going to rock your world. Because mm-hmm. um, you have some experience, hopefully mm-hmm. with some sativas by then. Yeah. So I think it, it's a good stepping stone strain for sure. All right. What? What it's good for, uh, as I mentioned, like out, that outdoor stuff, I, I really like it for sports. Um, I've definitely uh, consumed some Tropicana cookies for like ball and and hockey um yeah hiking beach days are really nice floating down a river uh i had some tropicana's cookies last year um we did a pimp in a river float and it was just a really nice combination so um i definitely think it's a great strain for being outdoors getting some rays enjoying the sun uh and then i guess the last w here dean is is when and it's a definitely a daytime strain great for awake and bake uh, right before sports are being active, I think is an awesome time. Um, I'm going to say it's not a great strain for right before bed though, just with, uh, like it's, as I mentioned, it's not a super buzzy strain, but active. You are going to be active. Yeah, it's your act- mind is active, active enough active, yeah. that, uh, you might stare at your ceiling for a little bit. Was just talking to a buddy today about doing that Pembina river float. Actually, uh, it's this great. Thursday we were actually looking at doing it. So I'm gonna have to save some of this for that. If, uh, that is a case, but, uh, River floats are. We did paddle boating on the St. Albert River a couple of weeks ago, and I brought a couple of joints, and it's just great. You just yeah. float down the river using the current, 
Uh, you're not getting too crazy. Make sure you have a life jacket on and things like that and be safe. But yeah. uh, it's great. Uh, okay, so good day time strain. Uh, great for uh, athletics. That is awesome. Uh, you know, slow pitch, baseball. This is probably right up your alley because it's also going to get you social, right? It's going to get you chatting a little bit as well. Yeah. What about the taste test? Uh, I just uh, had some, and certainly when you see Tropicana, uh, you're thinking fruit, and and it and it doesn't uh, doesn't disappoint on that end. Yeah, definitely. It's it's like a fruity tooty. You know, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I do find there's a little hint of sour to, mm. to the, the taste Almost a little on bit. the exhale a little bit. Yep, yep. for sure. Uh, and there's also a, a creaminess to it, uh, like you find in most cookie strains. Um, and it's a slight spice to it as well. And uh, Might go with this uh, nice cookies and cream from uh, Hershey's uh, <laughs> that I good. have here. Because it does have a uh, kind of like that cookies and cream taste. Yeah, it, it is. It's kind of, it, it's interesting. It's hard to like you know, define or describe what that taste is, but I, I, I got it. I smell it every time I yeah. get into some cookie strains. This might sound weird. It tastes thick. Like it did. I like, I, yeah, sure. I'm, like, I'm you know, on board with like that. A, cr a creamy thick taste or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the carry off lean gives it some spice, not overpowering though. Yeah. Not, not, not too much, but there is definitely some spice to it. Um, also very smooth. I mm -hmm. found like it was a really good uh, smoke and uh, you know, I got some white ash from my joints, so it's you know properly flushed as well, yeah. which is nice. Yeah, it's good. It's it's uh, delicious, and like you said, it is uh, it is really fluffy uh, when you grind it up. Tropicana cookies, uh, it's delicious, even though it is by a company uh, where a guy gave himself his own nickname as the king of Instagram, which seems a little bit strange, but uh, I got to hand it to Dan and uh, the crew. They make good cannabis. Um, yeah. You might not like the guy. You might love the guy. Who knows? He's very polarizing, but uh, I don't think you can say the can. This is polarizing. I think like this is pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to say it's uh, it's garbage cannabis because no. uh, certainly it, it tasted delicious. It looks delicious. It, it comes in, uh, you know, with a good product. So yeah. I like it. Yeah, definitely. I'm a fan too. Interesting backstory. Great cannabis. All right. Um, I picked this up, by the way, using the click and collect method that gets you uh, in and out. Although I did stay uh, an extra minute to talk uh, uh, to our friend Alex uh, from Good Buds, who uh, did a pop up in your store. Yeah. But click and collect gets you in and out. And it also lets you know what else is on the menu. You use the Leafly site. And I used the houseplant, or I used the click and collect. I also picked up some of the houseplant grapefruit sparkling water, which I think along with the uh the iced tea the yeah. cbd iced tea yeah the summit one yes yeah that and the houseplant are the two best tasting drinks on the market in my opinion and right now the houseplant's a really good deal with you guys it is yeah just just this week it's our it's our deal of the week uh yeah so you can get uh they're they're on sale for a pretty awesome price yeah. um yeah uh yeah and they're 2.5 milligrams of thc uh it's a grapefruit flavored sparkling beverage uh, and it's from Houseplants, uh, you know, who's, uh, you know, really cool company there under the Canopy Growth umbrella. Yeah. Uh, they do have a lemon flavored uh, beverage uh, that's available too. We haven't seen it here in Alberta okay. yet. Uh, hopefully soon it, it does hit the market. Uh, and uh, yeah, Seth Rogen had, had mentioned previously that two of these is his jam. He, he does too. And he's, he's feeling it. He's having a good time. This is a guy who... Other than maybe Willie Nelson, Cheech and Chong, and Snoop Dogg, probably think smokes the most cannabis 
uh, that I know of anybody. I mean, we ran a story last week on this show about him saying every decision he has made in his in his uh, career has been under the influence of cannabis because <laughs> he is always using cannabis. So if two of these drinks is good for him, I think yeah. two of these drinks will be good for you or anybody out there, yeah. right? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone is is different. Everyone sure. reacts differently yeah. too. The I've got I've got some friends that you know will have edibles and you know just have a ton of. You know, milligrams of THC and they don't feel it too. Right, so yeah. uh, it all depends on your ECS, your endocannabinoid sure. system. Yeah, as yeah, as we uh, talked about with David uh, earlier in the show. But for sure, this is uh, a delicious, delicious drink and and perfect for right now. Barbecue season, socially distancing. Have yeah. some of these instead of your six pack of beer. Although you can't get a six pack though because of the yeah <laughs> the, what the uh, the the. We have a gram uh, regulations, yeah, right? Thirty it's gram max. Thirty gram max, and five of these drinks puts you right up to that max. So you yeah. can't get a six pack, but you can take them to barbecues. They're perfect for that. Yeah, definitely super refreshing. Um, yeah, we we keep them cold in fridges at our there store too, so you can uh, yeah, literally come in, you know, on a hot day, grab a drink, and uh, you know, go for a walk. Get refreshed and yeah. use Click and Collect before you head there through the Leafly site. Uh, great for me, in and out, and great for you guys as well. Yeah, it is. Uh, it just allows uh, shorter time spent in store. Uh, it allows you to shop our menu from home to see if we've got something that you're after. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just overall, it, it's a, a great process. Beautiful. All right, so Tropicana Cookies uh, was the strain we did from Ignite Cannabis. It's a beautiful bud, that's for sure. Chris, thanks for coming out. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dean. is the business of cannabis a joint venture between the green generation co and the cannabis 101 podcast bringing you the latest bud biz buzz Malcolm LaBelle of the Green Generation Co. joins me as usual you can find more information at greengencompany.com and find out how Malka can help you in the cannabis industry. And uh, Malka, the first thing we're going to discuss today is that more celebrities are biting the dust in the cannabis industry in Canada. Why is that? Well, let's just say the laws are challenging. Uh, I'm talking about here this week, rapper Wiz Khalifa and Drake, uh, were both reported, they had previously come out with uh, deals or branding or corporate ownership, something with different cannabis companies uh, in the past. And now this week, it's reporting that um, basically they're going to be a no-go or they're they're not pursuing. Um, one of the sightings was that uh, in one of the media articles was saying that, you know, Health Canada is really doing its um, due diligence here and, and sniffing around to the um, the fact that these kinds of relationships are offside with the laws in Canada, um, which most people just don't know. Um, I mean, I think here it harkens back to the ebook that I wrote a whole year ago on how not to market cannabis, uh, citing that there was uh, some loophole that this is a loophole that some celebrities were willing to buy their way through. And according to my predictions, which are definitely coming true here, Seth Rogen's houseplant brand, um, other than the fact that he owns the company and ha the brand has nothing to do with his name or any of his likenesses in any of his movies, 
um, and Leafs by Snoop, which got around the uh, whole Snoop Dogg um, naming with an LBS, which stands for Leafs by Snoop, is the only thing that's left of that brand uh, having to do with Snoop Dogg. Um, other than that, um, cannabis uh, brands are literally not allowed to have any reference uh, to anything that's related to a lifestyle. The actual terms in the Cannabis Act uh, under Health Canada explicitly say that there can be no paid endorsement or any kind of remuneration um, that glamorizes a lifestyle, um, which exactly uh, is what Health Canada doesn't want you to possibly believe could happen if you use cannabis. <laughs> and I note, you know, don't, don't ask Seth Rogen about his cannabis influence on his highly successful lifestyle because, you know, that wouldn't be true at all. He actually, uh, it's a story that we discussed last week, uh, attributes every um, business move he makes uh, to the influence of cannabis because he says he is always under the uh, influence of cannabis. And and and, and it is uh, interesting to see um, how at, at first when the legalization was announced, you heard about it seemed like every celebrity was going to get involved. And then when they found out what the restrictions were, only very few did. Um, something like the trailer park buds that were out yeah. recently, I was shocked that actually made it through any of the regulations and onto store shelves before it got recalled. Um, it, whereas uh, um, down in the States, it's kind of like wide open, do whatever you want. Yeah, it's funny. The whole trailer park brands are buds, actually. Of the, it's almost like the probably the people that were reviewing that at Health Canada had no idea what the trailer <laughs> park boys was all about. It was like it's such an old, like it's sort of an older reference, right? Like if they're not on anymore, mm -hmm. they're they're not a current likeness. So that's probably why, as my guess, is why it sort of got like looked over. Um, but the funny thing about that is that, you know, it, it also comes back to the how people are having to rebrand. And we talked about Hobo. Uh, you guys have talked about Hobo last yeah. week. Like for both Trailer Park Buds and Hobo, I think that their rebrand could be as simple as Trailer Buds. Like a trailer is a very much a Canadian icon, you know, on the back mm -hmm. of a vehicle or any kind of trailer, you know, and they could have just short taken out the park and then it, might, it would have been okay and removed the whole lifestyle component because it's a, actually a thing. Um, I thought about that after as well as the hobo. I think um, it was a Chris that was talking about it with Chris Wiley. He was saying that, you know, they're Dutchy love or whatever they're going Dutch with. Love. Dutch love, yeah. I'm like, why don't they just switch around the word hobo to boho, as in bohemian, which I think uh, was the sort of the feel that their stores feel like. So it's, I just, I feel like someone else needs to be hired to be doing their branding. Maybe it's me. I'll put up my hand because all day long I can think of these things. And I just find it hilarious because in the U.S., cannabis brands, like you mentioned, and CBD wellness brands, their entire advertising agencies are spinning off additional advertising agencies specifically for the cannabis and CBD market. Like there were several different uh, releases about this in the same articles that I was reading about how there's these new cannabis marketing firms jumping up to start in the U.S. because of the high demand for all of this work. And I'm just thinking here in Canada, like, wow, I picked the wrong country to do work in. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, 
Um, the, the, the difference is, and, and one country is federally legalized. The other country is just uh, state by state. And, you know, you hope that the, you know, there's a time where our country catches up to that sort of, uh, openness, uh, when it comes to, um, the, uh, the cannabis industry. All right, uh, let's move on to change makers. And, uh, this is something that, uh, I think is um, not brand new. Um, you know, certainly uh, water and uh, aquaponics and hydroponics have uh, been been used for a while, but getting more and more popular. And uh, man, the quality is out of sight. Yeah, I mean, when I first learned about what an aquaponics grow situation was. I was literally jumping up and down with how cool this was from a green perspective. So my company had just started at the time and I got a chance to tour this aquaponics uh, facility here in Calgary. And it's actually has nothing to do with cannabis. It's, it's all about growing in water with fish. And this is the cool part. This is the future of food. This is the answer to food sustainability and the ethos of what it means to be green. And I'm going to tell you about a couple of companies that are just killing it right now with this. So basically, cannabis cultivation can be done in a number of ways, as we've learned. There's soil mediums, there's aquaponic, there's, you know, using uh, hydroponics, there's different kinds of organic mediums, there's different kinds of sprays. There's so many different ways that you can grow plants. Biochar we're hearing about, which is kind of really the cool part of the evolution of how to grow stuff, um, which we're learning about as that's the really the innovation that's coming out of this industry is that there's more than one ways to grow a plant. Um, but aquaponics is particularly cool. Um, there's two companies in, in Canada that I have licensed, uh, they're licensed producers. They've gotten their licenses to grow cannabis alongside fish. And that's Stuart Farms, which I'm pretty sure you've talked to Tanner before. Yeah, he's been on this show before. Yeah. Yeah. So he's one of my clients and his uh, company's at stuartfarms.life. And they're out in New Brunswick. Um, and then Aqualitas is a newer, is another one that's also on the Atlantic side of the com- country. And But the cool thing about this is you really don't need any specific place in the world. You could literally do this anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really good for sustainability, for growing stuff, like all kinds of food and, and greenery and fish, in harsh climates where climate change has made outdoor growing conditions next to impossible. Like think Arctic or sub-Saharan Africa or mm-hmm. islands frequently uh, you know, hit with hurricanes. This solves our world food insecurity problem in one type of business operation. And basically what it is, is really cool. It's a fish farm. So it's an indoor fish farm, which is essentially fish swimming in giant, looks like kiddie kiddie pools, but they're a little bit bigger. Um, And the fish poo is actually the uh, fertilizer that goes and... um, fertilizes the plants and it's mm-hmm. a clo- entirely closed organic system. Well, the, the, the beautiful thing about that is, um, you know, as you learn a little bit more, as I did about, uh, uh, with, with uh, Tanner from uh, Stewart Farms, is that it's just a a, a cycle of uh, you know, like you said, uh, solving a food insecurity problem and using a perfect fertilizer uh, for organic cannabis, and it's just self sustaining and it serves uh, a lot of different markets. And you know, the water is used again. I mean, 
there's virtually no waste and whatever waste is you is, there is is put back into growing plants exactly and the only really the magic behind it is just matching the right fish species with the right plant species but it's mm-hmm. it, it's infinite so there's literally um like other than cannabis and i think tan is using tilapia yeah. um there's also like pretty much any fish in the world um that fits inside it's kind of got to be a size range that's okay for indoor you know you wouldn't want to be putting giant tuna in there or anything mm-hmm. Um, but the whole salad could be grown on the other side of the greenhouse. Microgreens was the one, the deep water farms in Calgary, they were growing what they called um, a bassa, which was not, it was a different kind of fish, but they called it a bassa because it's a white fatty fish with micro microgreens, like high quality kale and microgreens. You could do strawberries, you could do cucumbers, soybeans, tomatoes. It's just a matter of matching the output of the fish to the input of the plants and you have a perfect closed system. And in some cases they are even creating their own energy with um, byproducts from this. Cause it does need a lot of lights. These are indoor grow facilities. Um, I think Tanner's experimenting with some pretty cool new lighting led technology mm. and the whole vertical farming world. Like the, the cool part about this is even the most awesome of all of this is the really that it's the opposite of the hundred mile radius. If you flip right. If you flip the farm to table, you know, movement on its head and you put the aqua farm, the aquaponics farm in the middle of a city, because it all it needs is just a giant warehouse. Like that's it. Like a, a giant warehouse on a cement slab. Everything is above ground um, and you need a little bit of water and maybe a, a little bit of electricity to get started. But you could literally power your own system. Then a hundred miles out from you is your delivery routes and you're driving a hundred miles around your aquaponics um, facility to deliver fresh caught daily fish and, and micro cannabis or, or micro greens or cucumbers or whatever you've got. And there's no ocean, no ocean, no sun and no climate needed. It's an entirely um, artificial environment, but with all natural and organic input. Yeah. And uh, you're mentioning Stewart Farms. Uh, Tanner was mentioning that uh, they just uh, drive down to Boston and, and uh, the, that coastal area and uh, boom, uh, there's, a, there's a market for the fish. Now, we're, we're kind of sticking with this theme for what it means to be green. Yeah, because this is the epitome of what it means to be green. Like, honestly, like green is not just a color. Obviously, we talk about it as a theme, but what it means to be green is an entirely sustainable, clean future that doesn't necessarily need the change to happen externally. So what that means is that, you know, we've, the world, especially in Alberta here, there's been a huge driver to push um, back the carbon, um, you know, the, the carbon equation. Like how do we reduce the carbon output that we have in our world so that we can, so that we can have a longer, cleaner, um, you know, climate. And this really kind of works around that entire equation because climate isn't a factor. You don't need a climate at all. You could literally do this on Mars or the moon. Mm. You know, have you seen the movie The Martian or even the show Space Force? In both of those, um, you know, what I would say hypothetical futuristic situations, they are trying to grow potatoes in very closed uh, system loops. But this is exactly what can be done here. They're all sustainable, low carbon, continuous food supplies. They could produce medicine and they're a climate change solution. They are the future of food and they're fully an agri-tech, uh, agri-tech business. 
the only fact that makes it cannabis is that they can grow cannabis too. Well, for sure. And, and, you know, that's the, uh, for, you know, for me, um, as much as I love, uh, cannabis and this is terrific to grow it, I'm thinking of, uh, the, you know, solving the food insecurity program, uh, with this and, uh, the, the lack of a carbon footprint, uh, that it has on it. And of course the benefit is that you get better quality cannabis. And I know from, you know, talking to Tanner and different people that, uh, this is certainly a passion for him. Oh my gosh, he is so passionate about it. It's hilarious. It's great though, because his passion is extremely um, contagious and it's showing in his business. And I can't wait. I can't wait to try the first grow. I think it, they're coming up real soon here to uh, finishing their first grow. And I hopefully I'm on one of those people that gets to try that. But this this whole concept, it's, it's just amazing. You know, like I've been saying, cannabis is a catalyst for healing the world. Well, this is a perfect example of how cannabis is, as a plant is we're trying something new. We're catalyzing a new, an industry from, it's actually a really old technology. It's not even new. 20, 30 mm -hmm. years of indoor fish farming right. and aquaponics is not a new thing, but cannabis is being, it's being tried with cannabis because cannabis is a hard plant to grow consistently and grow consistently well indoors. As we have seen, it's been quite a struggle, but this really answers so many problems with one business and there are countries out there like i mean the continent of africa there's people here in canada which are trying to help the entire continent of africa figure out their food insecurity issues because the climate is continuing to get hotter uh, like we already you know even worse feeling here in north america and the whole beyond meat movement i mean what do you think beyond meat is beyond it's you know it's pea protein it's plant protein well, how do you grow a plant and generate a lot of protein? You need a ton of it and you need to grow it indoors. So it's the same operations. And I think that this is what's going to save the world. Um, and I'm really excited about it. And I can't wait to help Tanner support his business. Um, and I can't wait to hear more about Aqualitas and see what they're doing too. Ah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, the, you know, the future is definitely uh, green. And for those people that want to find out more information, you can check out www.greengencompany.com and you can see how Melka can help you. Thank you so much as usual. Enjoy the heat wave and we'll talk next week. Thanks, Dean. Have a good week. Bud, dope, flower, ganja, Mary Jane. We all have our own language when it comes to cannabis. Herb, John Lennon, plant, Thai stick, salad. So let's explore another weed word of the day. Samuel L. Jackson, the Hobbit's Leaf, Lady Gaga, 420. All right, let's uh, almost wrap things up with weed words of the day. One slang, one standard. Uh, the slang word we're going with today is shatterday. Uh, the act of uh, combining or of con consuming only shatter on Saturday. So you're just combining the two words, pretty self-explanatory. I would only recommend this for very experienced users um, because shatter is very intense. But if you have the experience and you got the time, Shatter is a lot of fun. Uh, so Shatterday, maybe if you have some experience, clear your calendar this Shatterday and go to town. As for the standard term, cured concentrates, um, which for those in the uh, the business is going to uh, sound uh, standard, but there are some people that uh, and places that don't cure their ca cannabis properly. And this is concentrates 
extracted from cannabis that have uh, finished its growth cycle and then cured and dried before going through the extraction process. As with all cannabis, not curing it properly, you, you might notice a harsher um, product, a harsher buzz that you're getting uh, on the throat and, and everything. So yeah, if you're into growing, and why wouldn't you be if you have the space, make sure you don't skip over this step, particularly if you're growing to make concentrates. So that is our uh, weed words of the day shatterday and cured concentrates and that'll wrap things up for us uh, but i'd like to thank you for listening to this show i hope you enjoyed it if you did uh, please subscribe it gets downloaded each time we upload it and you uh, if you like the show or if you uh, think it could be improved please leave us a review let us know if you'd like to be involved in the show as a guest or an advertiser please email me cannabis 101 podcast at gmail.com and if you're into podcasts, check out podcastalley.ca. We have obviously this show, a few sports shows, a blog, lots of good stuff. And uh, yeah, you can find everything you need at podcastalley.ca. That'll wrap things up. A big thanks to David Krantz, a epigenetic performance coach. Really interesting conversation about how your genes uh, affect your cannabis use david wiley from the oz chris ionson from nova cannabis jasper av and malka labelle from the green generation co as usual our cannabis question what is your favorite accessory please reply with a picture hit us up on twitter at the cannabis 101 on instagram and facebook the cannabis 101 podcast or simply email us cannabis 101 podcast at gmail.com as usual we leave you with marijuana from the artist my dead dog and remember it's not just about getting high it's about getting healthy we'll see you next week